Hey everybody, Thursday, well Thursday night for me here in America, just going to start going through Twitter again, thanks very much everybody coming back and listening, I've had, I don't know how many times I have to say it, but I've had some really great receptions, it's been so nice, I've had a few people send some really nice things today about good luck for the race this Sunday and little quotes and um, yes, look, it's really kind of everybody and this is something I'm enjoying doing, so um, I'm glad I can help. So it is Thursday night. I'm going to search Twitter for Ask Skull Friday. I actually have one question that I will answer that's in an email, but guys, not that I'm, I, I just prefer not to have to dig through emails if i'm honest um but i i happen to just read this tonight here so um ben sent me an email and it says moving on as part of your friday questions i'd like to ask have you any advice on telling the difference between just being tired and needing to dial training back to recover i find it tough to tell the difference particularly when i'm inside a big block and juggling training with family and work okay this is definitely difficult and it's a lot easier for me to know because I'm not doing a lot either side of training. It's a lot easier for me to know that I'm if I'm I think overtired. Let's start with that. Overtired to me is two to three sessions in a row perhaps don't go the way you normally expect them to go. So maybe you usually do a three mile tempo and you average six minute miling. Now all of a sudden you're averaging 620, 630 and you're struggling. If that's the case and that happens three times in a row, I think you might find you're a little bit tired. If you look back at your training history and you've missed periods of training, perhaps it's not overtired and maybe it's unfit. So I think it's important to separate the difference. If it's overtired, i.e. within the last two weeks, you were training well and you haven't really missed any training or within the last two weeks, you've had a really good race result and all of a sudden you're struggling in training and it's not going as fast as you know, based on your race result, it should be going. Then it's tiredness. And I suggest you take a step back. You either relax in the session and you don't do it as hard or maybe you swap the session for a run. Or maybe you take a rest day. And if you find that then things progress on a nicer path, I am not a big fan of even in marathon building. I don't believe in long sustained periods of tiredness. I think if you're training quite a lot, you should never be two or three sessions away from having a pretty good one and thinking, nice, this this training's working. But that's just me. I don't really believe in digging holes and and then when you taper, somehow you're going to magically come out of this hole that you've dug and be flying. Don't believe in it. So I hope that answers family work. Look, I'm not going to lie, guys. I don't know a huge amount about this, but I would guess there's going to be nights that you guys are going to be tired. I would guess there's going to be nights that it's going to be more of a grind than other nights. But just watch for patterns. If you start to sense that okay, usually on a Tuesday, I'm feeling a bit fresher because I've had the weekend and Monday, maybe that's a good night to attack the session. Maybe if you've got a session on a Thursday night with your club mates and you've had a long week at work and family side of things and you're a bit 
less motivated Thursday night, maybe that's the one you relax on a little bit. So I think just play with that, juggle with that, and and start to get a sense of your own body, knowing where it's at. I think that's the key. And once you start learning where your body's at, you can juggle better training. So now I'm going to go to Twitter. I wonder how far back I have to go for Ask Skull Friday. Um, sorry guys, I'm just I was swapping from emails back. Um, okay, I think this would be it. Three days ago, Richard Owens. Hey Stephen, do you cycle caffeine coming up to a big race? Stay off for two to three weeks, or do you drink through the taper? I know athletes that do get rid of caffeine in their build up. Um, I'm sure she wouldn't mind, but specifically Charlotte Perdue, I remember, used to do that. And I think with, with really great success, I think she used to find the last week of training pretty um, rubbish without caffeine because she was so used to it. And then all of a sudden you're going to decaf. You can still have coffee, but it's just decaf. Um, but I think she really enjoyed doing that. Um, maybe it was a bit like me. It could be a placebo effect of just being able to say no. I don't personally. I just I I don't drink as much coffee as I used to anymore. I probably have about one cup a day now, and I would imagine I only drink about half of that in the mornings. But leading into a race, race day itself, I'll have a coffee three four hours before just to wake me up. Go to the toilet. Very simple stuff. Usually about one hour before, I'll have an espresso shot. And I was given that tip by an old coach of mine that said that supposedly helps encourage fat burning for the first few miles of the marathon. So there's a little tip for everybody. Alvin Sweeney. Hey, Stephen, what specifically do you do in the gym to strengthen up and make yourself a more robust runner? And how do you taper in the gym before a race? Right, so I I am just naturally pretty strong. Um, like I came from rugby. I played rugby all through school. So naturally, I think I am a stronger runner, you could say. But when we did some gym testing after European champs, we found that my groins were really weak. We found there was imbalances on the left side more than anything. So if I did single leg squats, they were kind of okay on the right side. When I did a couple of like plyometric like bounds, I remember doing stand and long jump and everybody in the gym was laughing at me. And it's supposedly I was the worst person ever doing stand and long jump. Or maybe one other person was not as good as me. Anyway, no names. But then I went on to do single leg bounds. And when I did the single leg bounds on my right leg, they were, I, I'm i pretty sure at the time, they were shocked at how good they were, especially on my right leg, and how I could be so bad at like standing long jump, but be so good. And I mean really good at the single leg bounding, like where you're just like jumping as far as you can on one leg, moving, propelling yourself forward. But on the left side, it wasn't great. So we we didn't really... I targeted gym in a way that might allow me... I get this really big, big engine, big, big aerobic engine, and I can do things. I can do these 20-mile long runs. I can do these 24-mile long runs. And what the goal of gym was was to support that. So it was to get my general body strength, glute, hip, hamstring, calf, just most of the muscle groups that we're using, specifically a lot of single leg type stuff, glute raises, um, single leg squats, 
some squats with a TheraBand to keep the knees locked out and some hamstring exercises. And specifically doing this to allow me to train harder. I, I'm not looking at gym as being the big key difference between me running a good marathon or not, but I'm looking at gym as once it's been in place for a year or so, that's when I can start running 110 mile a week as intensely as I do. So the gym to me is what's going to enable me. When I looked at Kipchoge's training and I seen every week, one week was an 18 mile tempo, the next was a 24. How he handles that over a 16 week block is incredible. I do three or four longer tempos. I think Kipchoge's doing 16 in his buildup. So the point was the the greater my strength was and this SNC and that side of things, the, the better we could get that. Hopefully that then can enable me and you guys, if you do adapt a SNC program and you go with the same goal as me, you can handle a greater training load without breaking down. And so more training, better performance. And that's that's the that's the standpoint I took on this. In terms of tapering it down before the marathon, I haven't done any lifting weights since last Wednesday. So it's going to be 10 days without weights. But I did on Saturday do some of the activation stuff, some like body weight squats. I did some of the glute raises, just a, just more of an activation thing rather than a strength thing. But maybe just to keep the benefits. But I'm, I am told that 10 days before you will keep the benefits. So if you're thinking about S&C, my program was very, very, very simple at first. It still is very, very simple because like everything, consistency is key. Don't If I did it myself, I'd have went in there and thought 60 kilogram squats, no problem. I'm an animal, blah, blah, blah. We started with a 20 kilogram dumbbell probably, and that was it. And now I do 50 kilograms, and that's over a four-month progression five month progression so really take it easy guys maybe seek some advice on that i put my program in the newsletter not long ago but if you if you need to see that or want to see it give me a shot george lactic testing and heart rate zone training would you recommend it for club level masters runner absolutely 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 you are the exact same as i am as runners, we are all the exact same. We have our current level of fitness, and what we're trying to do is improve that. It's it's really simple. I almost swore, but I'm trying to cut down my swearing. Anyway, really, really simple. You're taking your current level of fitness, your current shape, and you're trying to improve it. You're trying to improve it specifically for usually a goal, 5K, 10K, half marathon, marathon. So lactic testing. You go do a lactic test, it tells you where you're currently at, and it gives you figures. A really important figure for me was threshold. When I was when I was given that threshold heart rate, 2005 maybe, I think 2005, maybe it was 2004, my threshold heart rate has remained very similar for, or this is now 12 to 13 years. It, it varies plus or minus two or three beats, very little. Anyway, you're given a zone, threshold zone. We used to go to a set of pitches, uh, soccer pitches, football pitches, sorry, um, once a week. And we would do 36 minutes at this heart rate. 
and there was three of us, three three fellas at the time, three guys training together, Andrew Doherty, Connor Flanagan, myself, and a coach called Damien Gill. And he went over to a seminar and he heard about these testing and he came back and we would do our laps of these pitches and you would run at the heart rate. And I am not kidding you, all three, four of us seen we might have went from handling 12 laps at that heart rate week one to maybe 16 laps by week eight. I I personally went from probably being a eight to 10 kind of guy in a cross country race at like maybe like Ulsters even, Ulster clubs, to I came second at the Irish schools cross country and then came second at the schools international cross country. And I believe it was down to doing that threshold test and then actually working at the threshold zones. Very, very, very important. Cannot stress that enough. Take, take performances out of it. Stop thinking of running as, um, oh, so threshold testing is only for elites or people that run 215 to 220, 25, 30 for a marathon. No, can benefit everybody. If it's affordable within your means, can it benefit you? If it's not affordable within your means, I think they're roughly 100 quid, maybe 150 send me an email and I'll give you a rough test that you could do. Send me like an email with maybe your 5K time, 10K time, and I'll give you a little test you could do every 68 weeks that might work out similar. You will need a heart rate monitor and a treadmill. Okay, Colin McCourt. Guys, go give Colin McCourt a follow. Colin, very, very, very good athlete. Um, Colin is, I mean, at the minute he has family, two kids now, I believe, and works full time, but went from, I think, about over 90 kilograms and dropped that right down to 75 kilograms. And I mean, I'm selling it, but I bet you guys already know who Colin McCord is. You don't need me to tell you that, but go check him out. I think you'll find it really interesting. What was your biggest turning point in the comeback that's made you think, I've got this now? Um, do you know what? Probably the first... <laughs> this just sounds really interesting. Probably the first run I did... I always knew, I, I think I kind of knew I was talented and I kind of believed it. When I was able to take such a long time off, and it wasn't the speed that I was able to go run. First of all, it was pretty fast. My first run back, as you guys probably seen in the PDF, was like 13 miles, and I think I averaged like 6.30 per mile or 6.40. That's pretty impressive for somebody 13, 14 kilograms over what they used to be and really hadn't ran in eight months and combined smoking and drinking and you know that was impressive but I think I averaged about 170 heart rate that day and I remember thinking that that is tough to do for 90 minutes or more of running when you haven't even really been training to do that and that was quite a big a big thing for me um the 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 biggest challenge I've ever faced is dealing probably with negative emotions so when a race doesn't Colin this will really relate to you when a race doesn't go the way you want it when a training session doesn't go the way you want it even when you think it's going to go really well I learned to lose and the second I learned how to lose and lose gracefully you could call it Alan Story told me in the first lot of months of being back you need to race because you've not raced in years and he says, you just need to race and race all the time and get beat and win some and then get beat again and just learn to just, that's okay. 
and we're all we're always putting way too much on the line when we go into races and so for me the big turnaround was just just being able to lose or not achieve my goal and know that that's all right it's not the end of the world i'll just keep going and so once i could do that I felt a bit invincible because I knew once I could be patient enough with myself and the goals and when they would come, I knew this was this is this is what was meant for me to do. The ability is less important if you're not going to stick with it. I know I have ability. I have bundles of ability. I have talent and um, good things going for me in physiology. But I know a lot of guys have a lot of really good gifts and talents in all walks of life. But they have demons and once you can conquer them and my demon was not being able to lose or not being able to train for three months maybe not achieve the goal and quit no way can't do that that's not life so the the big thing for me was just being able to lose and and i it, it happened a couple of times i remember losing a half marathon i trained really hard in america up in flagstaff it puts a lot of pressure on you when you make big moves because you you go home to Ireland and you race people that maybe aren't away training and then if they beat you what does it say if you wasted your time for a year but so that's how I used to probably think about it and process it and I remember flying in to race a half marathon in the national champs half marathon and I thought I was going to walk it I thought it'd be easy and I entered the Phoenix Park side by side with a kid called Kevin Rooney Kevin Dooney sorry and he's absolutely killing it really really class act really tough guy to race I, I I couldn't believe how hard this kid can push himself and I remember thinking I would just beat him quite comfortably and he he tore away from me and I'm running through the middle of Phoenix Park with all the Irish coaches and that's not an easy thing to do and I don't know sometimes I feel like I have a little bit of a target on my back like I don't know if these guys support me or don't but it never really feels like there's a huge amount of support when I go down and race in Ireland and a lot of the coaches maybe aren't on your side, but that was tough for me to run through that Phoenix Park almost like in shame. Um, Dublin Half was a big one. Dublin Full in 2017 was huge to make a mess of the pace that day. And I, I got a lot of fans, I think, that day. A lot of people appreciated that I really gave it a go. But again, I had to run the last three or four miles of that marathon kind of with my tail between my legs because I made a mistake and messed it up but neither of those races changed anything i kept going and look where i am now there's not many people would probably enjoy racing me right now in ireland i know lots of people would want to but i can i can tell you when i'm well prepared i i, I feel like i can hold my own really well so that's a big turnaround um and that's just consistency preparation not giving up not giving up is so key and everyone's going to relate to that and everyone needs to figure out their demons and conquer them and then you're you're invincible so thanks very much for that question colin all right let's see where we're at um neil catley what's your favorite track session i'm planning one tomorrow but can't decide what to do prefer longer intervals because i'm old too <laughs> um I'd probably tell you to go do some short intervals then and get comfortable being uncomfortable, or I would at least mix it up a bit. But anyway, that wasn't your question. What's my favorite track session? I, I like 2400s, four sets of five 400s, either all at the same speed and keep the um, maybe the 100 meter jog pretty honest, or 
maybe breaking them down into being a little bit faster each set and then slowing the recovery down. But yeah, I, I do love some 400s. Okay, Chris Woods, week one for London, nearly done. Good man. I'm kind of thinking I might do London. Not quite sure yet. We're going to see where that goes. Apart from usual stats, what stuff do you find useful to keep a note of in relation to each run? Um, so I don't really look at, I don't look into things too much. I usually wear a heart rate monitor. Um, when was the last time I kind of, you know why I started using a heart rate monitor? Because things like Strava and Garmin and Training Peaks have these like amazing fitness calculators. But if you don't wear a heart rate monitor and your wrist heart rate monitor is an absolute bag of shite like mine is, then it ends up predicting this really great fitness that's not real because your average heart rate wasn't 195 for a two-hour run. So I started wearing a heart rate monitor for that reason a long time ago, and now it's just kind of habit. And maybe it's because the wrist monitor pisses me off, so I wear it just to counteract that annoying me. Um, I don't pay mileage I I have days where I never have a prescribed pace on easy days. Well, even easy, medium days, whatever they are. Some might be 610 to 620, probably if I'm running with Andy Butchart because he, me and him chat and run faster. Other days, I the goal might just be to run slow. But I don't really track nothing like cadence, nothing like... Um, elevation or i'm trying to think of other things that even exist honestly i'm i am a number cruncher i do try to hit my 90 to 95 miles a week if i'm feeling tired sometimes i'll try to work out can i still hit 90 this week while taking a rest day um so i i definitely pay attention to distance but sometimes heart rate very rarely um but there you are heart rate only really comes into the equation when i'm doing threshold or tempo work or i can look back now and see that I was running a 10-mile threshold at 160 heart rate at 510 per mile in Camp Verde. But when I ran 217 at London, my heart rate was 174 at 520. So that's a pretty good sign. <laughs> um, but there you go. That's that's kind of the kind of things to look at. So Connor Diver, I love Connor. Connor always sends me really positive messages. So thanks for that, Connor. Um, ask all Friday, what foods and quantity of foods and hydration do you recommend the week before the marathon? Hydration, like I told you guys earlier in the podcast, I think two to three days out, you can already be hydrating. I think that can be in the form of um, electrolytes, pinch of salt in the, maybe like a two liter bottle of water, and maybe some sugar, whatever you want to put in that. Or my girlfriend just came back with my magnesium spray. I'm just wondering why she pinched it. Oh yeah, stealing my magnesium spray. Anyway, um, you. What I've done recently is I've just bought big bottles of Gatorade, and then I've mixed a little bit of Gatorade in, pretty much a probably a fifth of a five hundred milliliter bottle, most water, a little bit of Gatorade, and for two to three days I'll just sip on that. And supposedly it takes the body two to three days to hydrate fully. So. I mean, if you're on top of your hydration in general, well, then you don't need to worry about it. I'm probably not. I'm probably not the worst, but definitely before a marathon, it's one of the focuses. In terms of food, um, I never, ever, ever worry about quantity. I definitely try to eat more when I know I'm going to do big long runs. In terms of food before the marathon, 
I was told by Nick Bedeau, you can store about, I think it's like four to 500 or four to 600 more calories a day. And that's it. So I think that's like an extra big bowl of cereal. And I think a lot of people eat way too much coming up to a marathon. I'm not about to start encouraging don't eat coming up to a marathon, but I'm just definitely not about the, like I said earlier, two to three big bowls of pasta or all this nonsense. Like I genuinely think like five to 600 calories more. Remember your taper and some people rest for a few days going into a marathon. If you ain't running, you don't, I remember Bradley Wiggins saying you don't need to put fuel in the car when it's sitting in the garage. And that's a really important thing here. Don't overdo it or you might end up feeling really sluggish. So next question, running blogger Clark Lawson asks Golf Friday, it'd be great to understand how top athletes dig deep into their reserves when the going gets tough. Um, it's not like, it's not like I don't, I would love to talk to you about London. I, from mile four, I thought it was over and I was going to have to drop out and my brain was, I just laugh about it though because my brain goes into all sorts of traumas like, oh my God, it's so hot. Oh my God, am I tired already? It's only eight miles. Oh my God, there's Haas on the sideline cheering me, saying how awesome I'm doing. He has no idea I'm about to drop out. Oh my God, I can't drop out here. This is mile 17. I'm five miles away from the hotel. Oh my God, this is starting to go a bit better. Maybe I'm going to do pretty well today. Oh my God, I think I can finish. Great. And like, it's just like, it happens in training. It happens in racing. The more... The more you dig deep and you keep going, it's not, I just think it's natural. I, it's just, I asked the, I asked my sports psychologist, why are our boxers so good from Northern Ireland? Why do we have world-class boxers? And I was like, doesn't everybody else want to know this? And he said, we just have this warrior spirit. And maybe it's an Irish thing. Maybe it's a Northern Irish thing, you know, like maybe it's both. We just, we've just had a pretty tough in life. And so... A lot of people have it really tough in life from England, Ireland, America, whatever. But maybe we just use that. Maybe I use it on race day. Maybe some people just aren't learning to do that yet. But maybe maybe pushing that extra bit, you're, I'm doing it because of all the shit I've been through. And so maybe it's me just like that's a day where I can, me pushing a bit harder, can make it work and make it better. And it's that never give up no matter how shitty things get. And like, I can tell you now, I will never be upset with a race result if I've pushed and I've given it everything I have, no matter what the result is. If if I know I haven't tried or I haven't pushed or I give up on the course, I'll just be too upset with myself. So I just can't allow that to happen. But I think that's maybe one of it. I think it's practice. I don't think this is a natural thing. I definitely think the more races I do, the harder I can push. So bear in mind you might need to practice this i remember being set two times eight minutes as hard as i can and training once and i remember thinking i i don't think i can do that and so if you're the type of person that thinks you struggle with pushing yourself don't be afraid to 10 days out from a race practice go do if the race is 10k go do 15 to 20 minutes and in the last five to seven minutes push as hard as you can and see if you can push a bit harder and that's there's nothing wrong with that that's just practice that's what it's for that's training um and so i practice these things i i love i did a it was the hardest fucking day of my life but i had to do a 6.3 mile climb up this place called mount eldon in flagstaff and it goes from 7,000 feet to 9,000 feet and i hated every minute of it. i'm 
Hate is like an absolute understatement. This was the worst fucking day of my life. It was so hard. It was like, I was like eight minute mile and eight, eight 45 per mile or like nine minute mile. I remember thinking, just keep it under nine, big lad. It was horrible. But in terms of mentally having to stick in there and push myself, one of the best things I've ever done. One of the best satisfactions I've ever felt when I finish a training run. Absolutely unbelievable. So you can definitely practice it. I don't know all the answers, but um, that's maybe the advice I could give on that. Okay, here we go. My phone's locked itself, so I need to unlock it. All right, next. What are we at? James Taylor. Okay, how do you mentally prepare for sessions and deal with them and they don't go to plan? First session back from injury tonight and a long way from where I was before. Look, once upon a time, I was running 610 flat out around Bushy Park, tempoing for like five miles. And now, well, go look at Mastrava and go look at London Marathon, 26 miles at 510. It gets better. But I do think the only way for it to get better is to stick with it and keep doing it. If you don't stick with it and keep doing it, it won't get better. You're going to stay where you're at right now. So progress over perfection is a good one. Um, stick with it. Trust it. See bullshit like this. Trust the process. I don't, I, I'm not about that at all, but it is true. <laughs> funny enough, but just, just do it. Like just keep showing up. Um, I think it'll get better. It should get better. It probably will. It probably won't as quickly as you want it to. That's probably a better quote. But just stick with it. And I I can promise that at some point it will get better. Maybe not as soon as you want. Maybe not as fast as you want. And then pay attention to that. Because don't focus on where it used to be and where you want it to be. Just keep an eye on if the session tonight, for talk's sake, was five mile tempo and you averaged i don't know maybe you average 6 30 per mile and then next week you end up making it a little bit faster then that's fine that's progress if it so happens that um you don't see the progress as quick as you'd like sometimes you just have to stick with it anyway um i i it'll probably get better it kind of that's kind of how it happened for me it 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 just got better all all of a sudden very quickly um but yeah so stick with it buddy all right sorry dermy when you were young who did you look up to when you started off running and who do you look up to now apart from your girlfriend rachel of course how cute um when I was a kid, I think in the fast running article, I said Craig Mottram because Mottram was just this like um, pretty confident, pretty cocky guy, but also just extremely hardworking and really, really good. Um, I didn't, I didn't have loads of like heroes like that. I suppose you could say like I, I had a couple when I sort of like trained with people like Andy Vernon, for example, you know. And, I really looked up to him when I first went to St. Mary's and his success. And then I've changed training groups and gone to America and watched different people train and followed different people train. And, and so, yeah, it's, it's always kind of changed. Inspire. I probably inspire myself, to be honest with you. Like, I know that I, I don't really give a shit how that sounds, but it inspires me when I think I can't do something and then 
I overcome it. And it's never performance related. It's always just like I wasn't always as disciplined as I am now. And so now that I'm pretty disciplined, it amazes me that I was able to overcome that. It amazes me that I was able to like grow up a bit and stop just quitting because it doesn't really go the way I wanted it to. So maybe I kind of inspire myself and then I kind of like roll with it because I'm like, oh, nice. This could really lead to something special. So, I mean, even this podcast is a bit inspiring for me because like I maybe I don't give myself enough credit, but like. I guess this is a really nice thing to do and a really cool thing to do. And honestly, at, at the bottom of my heart, I just want to try to help more people get better. And I remember thinking, like, I've achieved all these amazing results in the last two years, but I've probably inspired more people in the last two and a half weeks doing this and sharing things than I probably have in the last two years and might in the next two years. And so I think that's really cool and maybe... I hope I'm more known for my good results, but maybe that I also wanted to give back and help other people too. And that'd be a really cool thing. So probably myself. Jim Wilkinson, how fast should tempo runs be in comparison to race pace? Are short sustained efforts better than longer efforts for short races? Example, 15 minutes on rather than a straight four, five, six mile drive. <sighs> This is a complicated one. I, I'm, I've already gone to 33 minutes here. Um, I feel like I could dedicate a whole 20 minutes to tempo running because it's just so... Tempos can just range so much. I can call a 22-mile long run a tempo, for example, but it's more... The definition for me would be more threshold, long, sustained, hard running at maybe 20 seconds slower than marathon pace. I've done, I've called something a tempo that resembles half marathon pace. I've also done tempo that is faster than half marathon pace. And I've done a four mile tempo, for example, before racing a 10K. And it was as hard as I could, basically. So it depends on the term. I'll, I'll, a good coach of mine, Nick Anderson, was really good at this. And if you came back and you weren't as fit as you'd like to be, instead of going straight into interval sessions, Nick used to do something like we would do five by a mile at half marathon effort with 75 seconds recovery. Then on the Thursday, we might do some fartlek. We might do some hills on the Saturday, not push too hard. A week later, you would come back and you would do three times two mile, roughly the same speed that you did the week before. Blah, blah, blah. Another week passes. You've done your little bit of fartlek. You might do hills again. You might actually do a little bit of tempo, hills, a little bit of tempo, 10 minutes, 10 times a minute hills, 10 minute tempo at the end. Again, half marathon kind of effort. Anyway, the point is here, better, I think better to get pace first and then lengthen. Pace first, lengthen. So if for now you can only sustain like a mile at a pretty good canter and by pretty good canter i mean a realistic goal for 10 mile to half marathon it's okay to do five by a mile off like 75 seconds recovery at that sort of speed progress it to maybe three times two mile and then maybe in two to three weeks you'll be able to sustain five miles in one go or six miles in one go okay then what you might want to do a week later is do eight miles in one go but slow it down by 15 seconds a mile 15 to 20 seconds a mile just play with it like 
it's okay to set a season up and not have huge goals, but just be experimenting a little bit in training. And I think a lot of people move to marathon and instead of doing a six mile tempo pretty hard, they slow it down to eight miles, 10 miles, 12 miles, and then they improve at every other event because actually it was just slowing down a little bit and going a bit longer. So I think just experimenting with it. Tempo can mean all sorts of different things. Um, but yeah, just experiment with it. See how it pays off when you when you race. And I, I absolutely, like Aisha said, I don't think you're limited to only doing longer tempos when you're going to race things like marathon or half marathon. I think it benefits anything from probably even 800 meters, but mainly 3K upwards to 10K, for example. But look, guys, that's 36 minutes. I got to wrap and I got to probably go to bed because what time is it? Oh, it's not too bad. It's only 20 past eight. I still need to pack. I'm traveling to Houston tomorrow, but all good. Thanks for listening, guys. Bye-bye.